You ever watch this guy on television? You all were not telling the truth, and you should not be trusted. Congressman Matt Gates, thank you for what you yeah. did for your country tonight. Be offended with the Democratic whip, not House Republicans. Like a machine, Matt Gates. Welcome to Hot Takes. I'm Congressman Matt Gates. Let's talk about the news. Democrats seemingly getting what they want in these tranches of ballots that are now being counted. The state of Pennsylvania now showing Joe Biden holding a lead as well as the state of Georgia. But there are irregularities and Republicans are eager to have the judicial process play out to determine whether or not those irregularities are indicia of fraud. Now, there are a few different categories I want to talk about here. First, dead people. Breitbart News having the story that in Pennsylvania, 21,000 people dead on the rolls. Nearly 200 of them have been dead for 20 years, but then thousands of them dead for five years or more. They're also the movers. This is a big issue in the state of Nevada. Take a listen to Rick Grinnell. The Harry Reid machine recklessly threw ballots into the mail, and now we cannot check whether or not there are non-residents, which we have evidence, publicly available evidence, that you all in the media should be also looking at. It's publicly available information that non-residents have voted. There is a 30-day residency requirement in the state of Nevada. If you haven't been in the state for 30 days, it is illegal to vote. Reporters have a responsibility. The fact is, we are filing this federal lawsuit to protect legal voters. It is unacceptable in this country to have illegal votes counted. And that is what's happening in the state of Nevada. We've asked Clark County for answers. They have no answers. They continue to count illegal votes. That is unacceptable, and it's giving legal people a sense that the system is corrupt. We have to have a system where legal votes are cast. What the Harry Reid machine has done is throw out recklessly ballots, and now they don't want us to check those ballots and we are seeing discrepancies all over. So people don't live in Nevada anymore if they've left the state, if they don't intend to return to the state, but they got a ballot and voted it anyway. It begs the question, did they vote in their current state? Did they vote twice? Even if they didn't vote twice, is their ballot in Nevada legal? Then another category is the irregular batch category. So there are circumstances that have been widely reported where tens of thousands of ballots are coming in without a single vote for Donald Trump. How is that even possible? If Donald Trump got like 18% of the black male vote, how do you get 28,000, you know, 20,000 ballots coming in in some of these urban areas in the Midwest where there's not a single vote for Donald Trump? Not one. They're all filled out for Joe Biden. It really begs the question, and I think it deserves investigation. Then there are the issues of access. Whether anything is going wrong or not, the way to ensure that the American people have confidence in the count is to ensure that you've got both parties able to observe that count occurring. And Republicans have been 
in large part denied that access in some of these urban areas. When they've had legal ballot watchers there, sometimes they've been 20, 30, 50, 60 feet away. They're unable to see whether or not the people that are removing the ballots from the envelopes are properly checking the signature. They're un unable to ascertain whether or not those ballots are being fairly counted and properly authenticated. So there are two groups of Republicans right now. There are those who believe that we've got to fight hard to count every legal ballot. I'm certainly in that group, as is my good friend, the governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis. He was on Laura Ingram's program last night talking about the need to have integrity in the count. Here's Governor DeSantis. In Florida, we have the votes have to be in on election day, a mail vote. We do have absentee voting, uh, not mass mailing. You have to request it, but all the votes are in. And then you know how many votes are there. We track as every voter comes in to vote or submits a mail. We know the universe. Then you count it, you produce a result. Place like Pennsylvania, they can accept ballots after the election. It doesn't even have to have a postmark on now, it. This and they can fraud. still accept them. So no. a lot of these places don't know how many ballots are out there. And as you mentioned, you'll get like a 4 a.m. dump of massive votes for one, one candidate and almost none for the other. And people look at that and they just scratch their heads. So um, people need to have confidence in the process. And I think the way it's been done in a lot of these states has been incredibly chaotic. And when you when you ban observers, which should be there, you know, what are people supposed to think about that, Laura? Why? What's so wrong with having someone there just to ensure the integrity of the process? Donald Trump Jr. also forcefully making the case in Georgia. Here's Don Jr.'s message to our fellow Republicans. But I've been watching this all over the country. When I hear there's a deadline and then magically boxes appear later, we know that's against the law, but you get in front of a Democrat judge in a Democrat city with Democrat control and it's okay. Then before you can contest it, they throw those ballots in one big box. Now you can't tell which one is accurate and which isn't. I think the Democrats are used to this from a Republican party that hasn't had a backbone. You're not going to see that this time around. That party is gone, and anyone that doesn't fight like that should go with it. And on the other side of the coin, we have establishment Republican Nikki Haley. She tweets out, quote, We all owe at real Donald Trump for his leadership of conservative victories for Senate, House, and state legislatures. He and the American people deserve transparency and fairness as the votes are counted. The law must be followed. We have to keep the faith that the truth will prevail. This is like less of a call to arms and more of a eulogy of Donald Trump. This is more the like friends, Romans, countrymen, I come to bury Caesar not to praise him type reaction. And the Trump family, the president's supporters, uh, they won't forget folks like Nikki Haley who seem to abandon the field of battle and aren't out there raising legitimate questions and ensuring that we've got the right answers when it comes to who voted, how they voted, and whether or not those votes are proper and legal and legitimate. And by the way, while we're out here trying to spread the truth, access the right information, we are facing a censorship regime from Twitter that is unrivaled. I mean, they have, they at one point were like censoring a majority of the president's tweets over a certain span of time. And 
They even censored one of my tweets. Uh, I tweeted that it that the dead vote seemed to be breaking overwhelmingly for Joe Biden, and they censored that. People have to take extra effort to see that content on my Twitter platform. And it really is something when you see the vile and hatred and misinformation that Twitter regularly allows on their platform. You see, when Twitter takes this specific action against the president, members of his family, his supporters, it doesn't define them as an unbiased digital platform. They're then a publisher. They're then curating content. They're choosing what you see and what you don't see. And when they engage in that editorial process, they have deviated from the protections that they enjoy under the law, under the Communication Decency Act, and instead have availed themselves to the type of liability that should append to that editorial behavior. That's what happens at newspapers. That's what happens with cable television networks. But in the digital space, there are these special protections for Twitter. They are abusing those protections and they are trying to control what people see in this very, I think, sensitive time for our country as we await for the final fair, accurate result of the presidential election. There will need to be a reckoning for Twitter following these egregious acts of censorship. The vote has been hopelessly contaminated. Republican state legislatures must move now to appoint pro-Trump electors. That's the story we get from Revolver News, and it points out that the final decision on who the electors are does not fall to any court. It does not fall to any election official. It does not fall to any governor. It is, in fact, the obligation of the state legislators to appoint electors to go and participate in the Electoral College, and particularly in Pennsylvania, where you have this real strange result with Joe Biden outperforming Barack Obama in some of the urban areas in Pennsylvania. Does anyone really believe that? Does anyone believe that in like these urban areas in Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, Georgia, that somehow sleepy Joe Biden was able to juice a greater turnout than Barack Obama, who was like the transformational candidate for black America? Of course not. This is not heightened enthusiasm. This is not heightened participation. This is mechanized fraud in many circumstances. And if courts will not enforce their orders for the president's observers to be able to go and participate in watching the ballots being counted, then the state legislature needs to ensure that they don't appoint electors that would be facilitating the fraud. We need to ensure that we have fair elections with one person, one vote, and that every legal vote is counted. So I'm calling on the state legislature in Pennsylvania to do their constitutional duty, ensure that votes are not being counted, that were not lawfully cast. The state legislature in Pennsylvania should immediately initiate an investigation into these voter fraud allegations in Pennsylvania, and they should not appoint electors until that investigation has concluded. They have a constitutional duty. They have a constitutional role in this process, and they need to wake up to the fact that Pennsylvania will forever be maligned as the epicenter of fraud if they don't take action. And if you go back and listen to some of the older episodes of this podcast, I told you this would happen. I said frequently on this show that I was most concerned about fraud in the state of Pennsylvania 
because there's not really a backstop to that fraud. The only backstop would be the Republican state legislature, and they need to take action. Great piece in Revolver News. I hope everyone checks it out. There's been much talk the last few days over the reckoning the Democratic Party must go through regarding their losses in the Senate and in the House of Representatives. They, of course, lost the Alabama Senate seat, and it looks like they're down eight seats. That could be even more by the time counting is concluded in the House of Representatives. Congresswoman Abigail Spanberger made comments on a conference call with her fellow Democrats that they're going to get effing torn apart in 2022 if they continue to talk about defunding the police, embracing socialism, Medicare for all, and that they needed to move toward the type of uh, pragmatic focus on health care. So it'll be interesting to see what a Democratic agenda will look like with a far, far smaller majority in the House of Representatives. Uh, and Andrew Yang, a commentator who I think always has interesting hot takes. I don't always agree with him, but I think his perspective is interesting. He says, and I'm quoting here, in their minds, the Democratic Party, unfortunately, has taken on this role of the coastal urban elites who are more concerned about policing various cultural issues than improving their way of life. And of course, this is talking about that working class that the Democratic Party may be losing. In races where Democrat congressional candidates lost to Republican candidates, I think the defund the police issue really hurt them. I also think that working class issues are more and more on the side of Republicans. Working class people don't want to see trade deals that hollow out our folks, our workers, so that some multinational corporation can improve their quarterly earnings report. Working class people don't like to see our nation engaged in these forever wars that make certain contractors rich and create contracting and pillaging opportunities for the elite and the connected. That's not what they're about. They want to see us put our treasure and our resources into making our country better. And so I think the warning from Andrew Yang and Abigail Spamberger is an accurate one to Democrats. And we'll see if they lean more heavily into the squad approach to governing or whether or not uh, they embrace a pragmatism uh, that might be willing to work with Republicans to do infrastructure legislation, to try to reform a broken immigration system, uh, and to try to impose a sense of realism on our foreign policy so that we don't engage in American adventurism at the expense of the American people. I know everyone is focused domestically, but there is some international news that we also need to cover. Vladimir Putin may be ill. That's right, UK media is reporting that Putin is ill and could be poised to quit. The Kremlin calling it nonsense, uh, rejecting as untrue a report in Britain's mass media Sun newspaper suggesting that Vladimir Putin may have Parkinson's disease and could be poised to quit. The Sun cited Professor Valerie Solovier, a Russian political pundit who suggested earlier this week on a Moscow radio station that Putin was under pressure from his entourage to step down over fears regarding his health. In these areas where strong men, dictators, rule for a long time, once they start showing any chink of the armor in their health, uh, the vultures do start circling. There, there really is a rapid effort once you start to see any type of 
like degenerative disease impact one of these strong men. So we'll keep watching it. Vladimir Putin denying it. His health could be in question. If you needed pizza, booze, and weed to get through election night, you weren't alone. The Los Angeles Times reporting that these were some of the major orders on election night. And regardless of political leanings, Americans were united on stress eating, stress drinking, and stress smoking to make it through election night. On-demand alcohol delivery service Drizzly said that sales were 68% higher than on previous Tuesdays for alcohol. Sales in Washington, D.C. rose 133%. In New York, 110%. In L.A., 35%. Uh, in blue states where Drizzly operates, sales were up 75% compared to red states where they were up 33%. Wine made up 42% of sales, liquor 41%, and beer 15%. The company Ease saw a 17% increase in weed deliveries in California and an 18% increase in Los Angeles on Tuesday compared to the same day a week earlier. The top selling items were pre-rolled joints and vaporizers, suggesting that consumers were looking for products that would provide faster onset effects. We attribute this to a, an especially stressful election day, said Elizabeth Ashford, a spokeswoman for Ease. Uh, Google also reporting that the top searches for Near Me were for pizza, Chinese food, liquor stores, sushi, and Mexican food. Fries near me and liquor stores near me are at an all-time high in search, according to Google. Local independent pizza restaurants saw an influx of orders. People were very open about being stressed and needing comfort food, uh, said Kevin Cravalli of Prime Pizza. So uh, whether the election went your way or not in the races that you were watching, it does appear that Americans were satiated, subdued, and... Uh, I guess, dealing with the election night in each and every one of their own special ways. Consumption of butter has also been on the rise as we've been anxiety baking our way through the nine circles of hell. That's the story we get from Eater.com and Lando Lakes is reporting that in 2020, we see about a 20% increase in butter consumption from a normal year. And with more folks at home, with more folks stress baking, uh, I guess we've gotten a little more butter in the system. So whether it's the pizza, booze, and weed, or whether it's the extra baked goods that you're having, America may need a little bit of an exercise routine after 2020. Let's hope we get healthier in mind and body and that we're prepared for the days ahead. Some environmental news from Florida's first congressional district. We get it from getthecoast.com. New record for longest lionfish speared in the Gulf of Mexico set in Destin, Florida. Donald Valtronaut setting the record with an over 18-inch lionfish. It's not the state record. I think they got one that was a little bit bigger in Isla Morada. He was spearfishing for Red Snapper, saw this massive lionfish, speared it and the reason this is important from a policy perspective lionfish are invasive species they have no real natural predators they don't bite a hook and line and so the only way to kill them is to spear them 
and they're broadcast spawners, which means that one female lionfish can literally lay 10 million eggs over the course of their life, and they decimate reef fish, prized reef fish like gag grouper, triggerfish, red snapper. They gobble them all up on the reef, and then uh, you're just left with these Asian lionfish. So I'm glad we got a big one speared, and I'm hopeful that we'll be able to enact policies to incentivize greater harvesting of lionfish. They actually are delicious. It's a meaty white fish that uh, I enjoy eating. It's great grilled or bronzed or baked, uh, but we may need to incentivize their harvest so that we're able to preserve the great ecosystems that fund a really vibrant fishery here in the northern Gulf of Mexico. So congrats on the kill. We hope there are many more ahead. Thanks for listening to Hot Takes. I'm Congressman Matt Gates. Make sure you subscribe, give us a five-star rating, leave us a comment to let us know what you think of the show. Have a great weekend. Join us next Monday for more Hot Takes.